Well, hey, welcome back, folks. Dave DeBow here. Another exciting episode and our fantastic guest today is an old friend and a client, Ali Nasarian. And Ali is a real estate entrepreneur based in Richmond Hill, Ontario, but doing some pretty cool things in Western Canada, specifically Calgary. And he's kind of moved up, moved up in the world. When I first met Ali, I think he was focusing on single family homes. And last time I heard he is building some big monster building in downtown Calgary. So Ali, great to see you again, my friend. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely great to see you after a while and uh, catching up. Yeah, yeah. So Ali, for folks that, uh, that don't know you, and for me with my rusty memory, just remind us and tell us a little bit about your real estate investing journey. What, when did you get started? Why did you get started? How did you get started? Yeah. Um, so I kind of grew up around real estate. My parents had, uh, you know, very small portfolio, uh, probably not really intentional as an investment strategy or whatever, but had a rental. So kind of was familiar with uh, some of the benefits that real estate can bring. Did, 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 did your parents ever put you to work collecting the rent or fixing the properties or dealing <laughs> with tenants? Any of that? Stuff? I ended up, yeah, as I got, uh, as I grew up, uh, you know, I ended up doing some of that work. And yeah. uh, I actually uh, lost my dad when I was a teenager. So I actually yeah. had to jump in and uh, and take care of uh, a lot of the, you know, property management wow. and like dealing with tenants and whatnot. So kind of got me started early into yeah. that and also like, some of the decision makings uh, in the investment. So uh, I've actually, this is the first time I'm sharing this, but uh, <laughs> it was interesting you asked. And uh, so, yeah, that kind of, uh, I, I had an idea of like how it is to deal with tenants and uh, and like some of the investment decisions and whatnot, but nothing in a educated way that that you're doing yeah. it now. Where, so where my, were those properties, Ali? Where, where so did you... I was I was born in Iran. So they, uh -huh. were, uh, they were back home uh, in yeah. Iran. Um, and uh, but the great thing with real estate is the principles are the same no matter where you go in the world. Yeah. Um, Asia, Africa, Middle East, North America, principles are the same. You know, the, the way um, funny, actually enough, uh, um, we're kind of diverging a little bit. But my my dad actually uh, built our home and we were kids and uh -huh. uh, he basically generaled it. Uh, he wasn't a builder or anything. He was a teacher, but they, right. you know, back then there were not a lot of like builders, I guess. So you would build your own house. And uh, he, he always talked about the, the mortgage, the construction mortgage and how it worked. And funny enough, in 2017, I got a construction mortgage in Canada works exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Like that is 40 awesome. years later in different part of the world, it still works the same. Yeah. You know, you make progress draws, they come and see how much progress you've made, and then they'll pay you for that. So it was really actually interesting. And uh, I like where this conversation kind of, I, this wasn't planned. So for anybody. Well, hey, that's, well, that's why it's a conversation later. People, exactly. Right? So, yeah. um, so I guess I had a little bit of legs up, you can say, in uh, kind of understanding how it works. Uh, but my own journey, I, so I always wanted to build houses. Yeah. Like since I was a kid, I always wanted to build homes. And uh but, you know, like you, they tell you, go to school, get a job and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I did that, you know, uh, went around the world, lived in Malaysia, worked in offshore oil and gas and uh, moved to Canada like 2012. And I was like, okay, how does the real estate work here? 
Uh-huh. So uh, eventually in 2016, after, well, 2015, I got laid off from my day job in oil and gas. Anyone who's been in oil and gas in Alberta as yeah. well as at the time, it's everybody was feeling the pain. Yeah. So the, the industry tanked and that's what kind of triggered in my mind. I was like, okay, I got to do something else. Um, it was actually funny enough, my introduction to the concept of layoff, I'd never heard of that. Because uh-huh. even when I worked in Malaysia, there was no such thing. Like you had a job, you had a job. Uh, you would either get fired <laughs> it would, it or you would, would never quit. go away. There oh, was yeah, nothing yeah. in between, right? Like yeah. you, you would have to do something wrong to get fired. Uh, but so it, it, it was a bit of a, you know, a, a shock to, you know, if you like. So it got me really thinking. I'm like, hmm, this, and I did like global risk management. Uh, there was, and I was like, this is a big risk. So mm. you can tell me, I can just work, you know, my, you know, whatever. <laughs> work. Yeah, work your work your buns off. And yeah, exactly. Here. And then like one day they can just say, oh, sorry, we don't need you here anymore. So I was, that really got me thinking hard. And I thought of like, I always wanted to have a business or something. I'm like, okay, what can I do? Like one thing was like, oh, I can do a photography business. So I quickly realized that doesn't make a lot of money. So I can keep that as a passion. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, oh, I always like to build houses. So let's see how does that work. So I started digging into that. And it just yeah. happened that in Edmonton in 2014-15, they were really promoting infill developments. And they were, believe it or not, they were educating the public on doing infill developments because they huh. really wanted to revitalize the, the who was they? The city of Edmonton or the, the city of Edmonton? The yeah, city okay. of Edmonton, yeah. And um, like right now, everybody knows about it, but really this started back then in Edmonton. Yeah. So it kind of piqued my interest because I could also all see just driving around that people are demolishing their old houses and building like bigger house or two houses side by side. Right. Now they're doing eight. Like back then, they were starting with. Uh, they called it duplexes, side-by-side duplex or front and back duplex. So that really piqued my interest and I started digging into that. I tried to pull up some partnerships, didn't know what I was doing, trying to talk to some friends to add money and whatnot. But eventually I uh, I got offered a job in a small city called Lloydminster, the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan. Yeah. And you know how they say the, the salaries, that the, the drug they give you to forget your dreams. And then... <laughs> Sorry, what was that, Ali? The salary is the drug they give you to forget your dreams. Ah, I, actually, I never heard that. So that's, no? That's, no. I, I, I don't know where I heard this, but uh, it was absolutely true for me uh, because I was almost getting to the point that I was, you know, building a team together to pull off a project that was like running numbers, identifying locations, and then bam, I have a job offer. And a good uh, one. What's good? And a good one. Like, yeah. At the time that no everybody was getting laid off. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, the junkie, you put that drug in front of him. It's like, this is really tempting. Should I, should I not? Hey, I took it, right? Yeah. I took it, but I tried not to forget my dream. So mm. one thing I did is I leveraged that and started investing. And that's, that was really the start of my investing journey. So what, a, what were your first investments in? What kind of investing? So it you? was a condo in Richmond Hill where I live now. Yeah. And I bought that. Uh, funny enough, I, I lived in Alberta, but I managed to buy it as a second home with 5% down. Okay. And uh, so we you know, quickly saved a little bit of money the first few months that I worked and some savings that I had. And uh, yeah, I qualified for that and I bought it. 
and uh, I did midterm rentals, furnished uh, rentals. Smart. And sometimes I would stay or family would come visit, we would yeah. stay. And whenever it was not used, we would do like month to month uh, rentals for a lot of, actually a lot of new immigrants. They would, they would be landing. Very they needed smart. a furnished place. Oh, right so, in the GTA, right in Toronto. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were close to transport, uh, Yonge Street and whatnot. And uh, actually worked out pretty well. And I was like, hmm, I like this. This hmm. is, uh, It was breaking even or probably cash flowing a little bit, especially in the summer times. Yeah. And um, my sister was living close by and she would do like the turnovers and whatnot. Okay. So uh, so yeah, that, that was like kind of my first investment. Yeah, and, so basically you're... It, it was paying for itself, if not a little bit more and paying yeah, on your exactly. mortgage and you didn't yeah. have to worry about coming out of pocket. Good. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I know like midterm rentals are becoming more and more popular now, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, it's a great strategy. So after that, I saved up a little bit more, but this dream of building homes kind of stuck in my head. So yeah. uh, a year later, kind of le- early 2017, I was like, let's see what I can do in this small town that I'm living now. Um, and again, which was what Lloyd Minster, Lloyd Minster, yeah, city of 30,000 people for those who are not familiar. Half of the city is in Saskatchewan, the other half is in Alberta. So (laughs) I was technically working in Saskatchewan and living in Alberta. And uh, and the trigger came when I saw an ad from a local credit union to like, hey, get a construction mortgage, build your own house. I'm like, hmm. And there were like, there were lots sitting around because the economy tanked. And so yeah. there were a lot of builders who bought these lots to do custom homes, but now they were sitting on them. So I started driving around, picking the numbers from the signs and calling them. Yeah. Said, hey, would you sell it to me directly? Um, and I got one guy saying like, yeah, I would, I would sell it. And I, he actually sold it at a loss to me because everybody knew how much they bought them from the city. Right. So it wasn't a secret. Uh, and that was the start. I was like, I just pulled the trigger. I'm like, I'm just going to buy a piece of land and start building it. So what so did you build on that one? I built a single family raised bungalow and mm-hmm. I added a basement suite. So without knowing, I actually took a minor variance. Uh, and that was actually funny. I went to the city. I'm like, I want to put a, a unit in the basement. They're like, well, you got to fill out this form and we're going to send letters to the neighbors. And if nobody opposes it, we'll approve it. I'm like, okay, I just did that. And then I didn't realize that was a minor variance that <laughs> I took. Nice. Yeah. So um, yeah, I started becoming a GC and uh, very steep learning curve for anyone listening. It wasn't like just jumping in. Yeah. It was uh, at least two years of research before that on like how the whole construction of building homes and stuff works. But it's still, I would say at the end of the day, I realized that I only knew like maybe 30, 40% of the story. Uh, and the rest was basically learning it on the go. Uh, mm-hmm. I did project management in my day job. So that kind of gave me a little bit more confidence into that. Um, but like any other deals that we do the first time, I was over budget and over time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when it came to selling it, um, it I realized that I'm not going to make a lot of money and the market was still down. And at the same time, I started kind of implementing some of my, I'm a mechanical engineer by trade. So I wanted to introduce something that was a little different than other builders. And I was passionate about energy efficiency. So I uh, incorporated some energy efficiency features into the, into the build, uh, which added cost and complexity. But I, that was my passion. And I still kind of keep the name Ecolux Developments. That's the name that I came up with uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when it came to selling it, I was like, no, I'm not getting, you know, I'm probably at best breaking even. 
Yeah. Uh, and I was planning to move to Ontario. So I was like, okay, let's rent this out and see how that works. Yeah. And to my surprise, I was like, holy moly, I'm making like 700 bucks a month. Nice. Positive. Yeah. Uh, I did midterm rentals in the basement. I left yeah. all my old furniture in there. And there was a lot of people coming to town to work and they need a place to stay for a month or two or three. So uh, they were willing to pay a premium uh, for a furnished place for short term. And there was not a lot of those units available in town. So, uh, and I've been, I still hold that property. And actually I had an offer to sell it to an old colleague. I'm like, no, I have no reason to sell it. It's yeah, might as well. It's flowing pretty well. So yeah. that's where I basically discovered like developing purpose-built rentals. And I fell in love with purpose-built rentals. Uh, and yeah, long story short, I'm a developer now and I'm doing more multifamily developments and multifamily. So how many... How many single family homes did you build between that first one and, and now that you're getting into multifamily? Uh, I built that one and I tried to do the same thing in Ontario, but realized it does the numbers don't quite work. So did yeah. a reno with, uh, with a friend, like kind of like a, a single family home, add a basement suite there. Uh, and trying to do the same thing here, it actually led me to do more land development stuff than actual build. Okay, uh, and I realized there's there's better opportunities in land development. So, I so maybe doing... explain what land development development means for for those that aren't familiar with it. Great question. So, land development is wherever you add value to the land without actually building anything on it necessarily. It and could how do you do that? Building. So there are different strategies. You could. Uh, so the simplest one I can explain is is what we call a severance. Mm -hmm. So you buy a piece of land. It's oversized. And you split it to two. Um, and take you create, one big lot, turn it into yeah, two take smaller one, lots. Turn it into two smaller lots. Or subdivision, you take bigger lot and turn it into three, four, five, 10, 20, 100. Okay. And you see that a lot, like when they say the new subdivision. Another way to do it is you change the zoning. Zoning is what is the bylaw that defines what you're allowed to build on that site. You can take the land. And if it meets a certain conditions, you will go to the city, you will go to the council, you put a proposal in front of them to change the zoning. And for example, if it allows single family, you, will, you can change it to allow duplexes or allow multifamily. Right. So that adds value. Or you can do a land assembly. You take some smaller pieces and assemble them together to allow a larger building. So there are multiple strategies in land development that uh, that you can use, but those are some of the... Uh, and and which popular. ones have you done? Which ones have you focused on, Ali? I have done, I would say, pretty much all of those that I mentioned. I've done a land severance. I've mm -hmm. done assembly. I've done rezoning. Um, yeah, and we're doing a subdivision actually now as well. Very cool. So yeah, yeah I've tried so, a little bit of all of those. Yeah. So... Okay, and I'm I'm just thinking of questions that people that at, haven't done that might have, and one question would be, okay, what's kind of the the potential on these kind of properties of getting them rezoned or or that sort of thing, um, time frame, etc. Like, it, probably in, in especially in bigger centers, you have to, it's pretty cash intensive to get control or ownership of these kind of properties. And they won't be cash flowing anything while you're under this process. So give us a kind of an idea of yeah. what the potential could be. That's a that's a great question. Um, it depends on the strategy. If you're dealing with raw land, 
um, that is true. You buy the raw land, it might take very long time depending on the existing zoning. Mm. Uh, if it's a farmland and now you're trying to convert it into residential, which we see a lot at the edge of the larger cities, right. that's how the cities grow. Uh, that takes a long time, very capital intense. Uh, timelines are hard to predict uh, depending on where you are, but there are mitigations you can put in place. I can give you an example of uh, one of my first uh, severances. It was a corner lot uh, in Thorold, basically St. Catherine's uh, Niagara area and it had an existing property on it. So one of the strategies is to focus or start with properties that have an existing structure that you can generate some income from. Mm. And uh, this particular property, although the, the severance potential wasn't a slam dunk, we got it done now, but mm. it had some challenges. But the, the great part was the price. The price was really good. And at the time, it would actually break even or cash okay. flow positive a little bit. Yeah. So that would kind of mitigate the risk with the timelines for me. And um, right now with the interest rates going up, it's a little bit underwater, but it's not too bad. I'm not right. completely out of pocket. And sure enough, we were expecting like six to nine months, but it actually took about one year and nine months to get the severance <laughs> approved. Hey, good old welcome to Ontario. Yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. the whole government of Ontario. Yeah, uh, our land assembly and rezoning for a tower in Calgary took shorter than that, uh, but that's a different market. Uh, yeah. So there are strategies you can put in place. Even this larger land assembly and rezoning that we are doing in Calgary, there were actually about uh, ten units because there were like five properties. Yeah. Different houses, right? Yeah. So it generates about hundred thousand dollars in uh, rents every year. That's not enough to cover all the expenses, but it's something but it helps. that helps. Yeah. yeah, it definitely helps. So maybe, maybe to give people an idea, because this bigger one's probably out of the context of a lot of folks, but they can sure. maybe get their head around that severance idea. Yeah. You buy a oversized property that's got a house on it and you're renting it out and that, that helps cover your nut there. What does that look like even in a year and nine months later? What do you think your your return on investment or your your profit will be by doing that on that property, doing that severance. Yeah, I can give you some high level numbers. I haven't yeah, done a just, recent or percentages. To see, but uh, let's say you buy it for five hundred thousand. Uh, we focus. So another piece of that strategy is try to keep the old house. Yeah, and, and focus on properties that you can sever off the extra piece of land without having to demolish the existing. So you keep right. the value because the structure has a replacement cost. Mm -hmm. And if you demolish it, you basically lose that. Yeah. So by keeping that, you kind of keep the value. And if the lot becomes a smaller, you don't generally lose a lot of the value. Mm -hmm. So say you buy it for 500,000. Once you sever off the backyard that usually is like larger than average, it might drop to like 450. And then that new lot, um, I would say it's probably worth somewhere around 150 to $200,000. So let's say conservatively, it's, it's 150,000, which probably is more than that these days, mm -hmm. anywhere you go in Ontario, especially. And now, so you have generated $150,000 of value. You have lost the 50,000 on the existing. So you're net positive 100,000. 100 grand. For an yeah. example, 100 grand. Okay. Yeah. And it might cost you like, somewhere between like 20, 30, $35,000 in consultant fees and whatnot to get it done. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're lucky and the market is hot, that lot might be worth $250,000. But these are the risks that are involved. So land development is definitely something that, you know, um, some people call it, it's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> delays, there are lots of unforeseen situations, so you need to mitigate your risks. So, so Ali, we met a few years ago, and and uh, I had the pleasure of working with you around raising some some capital. Walk us through that. What what have you been doing as far as bringing on partners or joint venture partners? What's worked? What hasn't worked? What 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 does that journey look like for you? Yeah, um, that was honestly the, discovering the. OPM concept, the other people's money, was really the, the jet fuel I needed in, in my journey because, um, like I said, I did a few things on, on my own and uh, I was like, I can do bigger projects. And honestly, they take almost the same amount of effort and knowledge. They and just time, probably. Require, and time. Yeah. And the only thing is they require more capital. And like, mm-hmm. okay, if I have to wait for my own capital to grow to that level, even like in land development and whatnot, it takes time. It's going to be too long. I want yeah. to grow faster. So I discovered OPM and raising capital. Uh, I was part of your course, uh, which was uh, which was really great, uh, and started raising capital. And uh, for our land assembly in Calgary, that was a big project and seemed pretty scary mm. uh, to start with. It was a $3.4 million uh, acquisition. And so we needed to raise a lot of capital, like about mm. uh, 1.4 million. But uh, yeah, so we, we embarked on that. There's a lot of, I guess, uh, um, what do you call it, like skills involved in building your credibility, building your list, all the things that I'm sure you, you talking about in your course and anyone that's in the other people's money business uh, will kind of uh, eventually find out or learn in <laughs> One yeah. way or another, that uh, you have to build your credibility. You got to know your deal, uh, but there are challenges. There's uh, there are a lot of people offering the same thing um, to often a small pool of investors. Mm-hmm. So you need to differentiate yourself. Uh, you need to demonstrate to the investors that they can trust you with their money. It's often more about you than the deal. And yeah. uh, so building your credibility uh, is very important. And building so what, credi- what have you what have you done to do that, Ali? What's worked well for you for building up that credibility? Uh, I would say doing some projects on my own with my own yeah. capital and sometimes, you know, just friends and close, uh, close family and friends. Uh, it helps. So getting getting that track record of, of experience, yeah, getting some yeah. track record. And also there's, there's a saying that they say, how you do something is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And be very mindful of how you do anything, how you show up in meetings, how do you speak, how do you present yourself? Because that becomes your brand, that becomes your personal brand of who you are. And I think what worked for me was um, kind of showing up to meetings, uh, speaking up, not mm-hmm. being afraid to, it was uncomfortable in the beginning, sure enough, like yeah. showing up to a meeting, uh, it was all online, this was during COVID, and especially on Zoom, I can't see who's 
looking who's not <laughs> you know who's and dressed it, and who's not yeah exactly and then showing up and like raising your hand and trying to talk to like not knowing who like yeah. just looking at this screen it was uncomfortable but getting comfortable with being uncomfortable i yeah. think that was the thing and uh, networking hardcore networking uh, i think one thing so, so what kind of networking have you done that you've found to be effective for you for raising capital where what kind of groups, where have you been meeting, that sort of thing? Yeah, so investor groups, uh, and COVID was uh, as bad as it was. Uh, it was a bit of a blessing because a lot of groups became online. And mm. I personally ended up discovering a lot of groups that I didn't even know they existed. And uh, I just became a sponge to begin with uh, in terms of learning and just like absorbing all the information that I can, uh, but also try to participate. And uh, maybe one trick was just going to all the events I could and learning everything and maybe going into another event and sharing what I've learned from another. The first event. Uh, yeah, first event. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, so and that, it helps hey, you I, remember that stuff better too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it shows that you're active, you're, you know, you're working on yourself to develop your skills. And I remember showing up to an investor meeting and like, hey, I can't find opportunities. How is everybody finding opportunities? And got a few hints from there, build a few connections. So there's two parts to this. You, you need the deal flow and you need the, basically the capital flow. Mm -hmm. And it's often a chicken and egg. Um, mm -hmm. Like, okay, I don't have a deal to promote, but well, I need to build, you know, talk about something with investors. And I think one of the things was, um, I guess in my case, I found a property that I could potentially develop. I put it under contract. I spent some money on doing some due diligence. So basically getting a little comfortable with potentially losing some money, but that gave me something to work with. And then talking to people, I was like, hey, this is what I'm working on. It was actually would be a subdivision, like one lot to three. Um, I eventually ended up dropping that because the numbers didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but it really gave me an, a real example to work with. And I know sometimes people are afraid of um, moving forward with, with projects, but I would say if you do your high level due diligence and you think there's potential there, don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money. I'm not saying go there and spend like tens of thousands of dollars, but you know, 500, 600 bucks for a quick appraisal, thousand bucks to a planner to see what's the potential. Now you can demonstrate that you're working on something. Mm -hmm. And then that will help you talk to potential investors and say, hey, I'm working on something. This may or may not work. And actually, if you drop it and people see you spend your own money on due diligence, but you ended up dropping that deal, that shows that you've done your due diligence and you're not afraid to you know, put your own capital at risk. I think that was, I, I had two projects like that. And actually, the second was, was another assembly in Calgary. I ended up almost, uh, I don't want to call it losing, but spending out of pocket about seven, eight grand. And I had investor capital uh, committed. Some money was actually transferred into the account, but I ended up returning all the capital to them and saying, hey, I saw a few red flags. Um, I'm going to take the loss on this one. And I'm, I, but I didn't take the risk with your money. That really helped oh, uh, that'd be huge. My, my reputation for sure. First, that I'm doing my due diligence. Second, I'm risking my money before I risk investors' money. Smart. Um, 
and also like showing that I'm active, I'm doing the scale of the things that I'm doing, that would be the, would have been a 25, uh, like five story apartment development. So not, rule number one is don't lose money. And I'm mm -hmm. probably stealing this from somebody. Don't, don't, don't lose your investors' money. Yeah, don't exactly. lose, yeah, exactly. Don't lose your investors' money. Number two is don't forget rule number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I heard this somewhere, but if somebody knows where, who has said this originally, remind me of that. Oh, that but, that's Warren Buffett. Yeah, it's probably yeah. Warren Buffett. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, don't lose. <laughs> but money. he was talking about he was talking about his own money. But yeah, for yeah, sure, exactly. Same, same but with with your own money, but always be willing to risk your own money before you risk investors' money. Yeah, that's wise and it, it helps to it helps to show that you have spent your own capital to do the due diligence before you put it in front of the investors. Uh, in a lot of our projects, like we're actually raising capital for another project, we're raising another 1.5 million. Uh, we have actually spent all the money, we have used our own capital to close the deal. So that shows our commitment to the project that, hey, we're moving forward with this project. But now we're basically sharing that opportunity with investors. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something, and I'm, I'm sure you talked about it in your course as well, was don't think about raising capital as asking for money it's sharing an opportunity with people definitely and it is true i can probably do private lending and keep all the equity for myself i would be taking a lot of risk but i also would not be sharing the profits with people so definitely. by opening it up to investors we are creating opportunity for investors who maybe don't have the knowledge or don't have the time but they have the money and they don't know what to do with it an opportunity to make a good return on their money. Yeah. Well said, Ali. Time flies when we're having fun, my friend. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what should they do? So Ali Nazarian on Facebook, Ecolux Developments with an S at the end uh, uh, on Instagram or info at EcoluxDevelopments.com. You can email me and uh, yeah, would be happy to connect. Sounds good. Congratulations on wrapping things up and making Thank it you. happen even during COVID and uh, the good work that you're doing on this new development. Keep up the good work, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. And shout out to you, the, the course we took. We got, uh, we got a lot of uh, value from that. So you're doing a great job educating people on how to use OPM. My pleasure. Thank you, my friend. All right, everybody. Thank you. Take care. We'll talk to you on the next episode.